0: Proverbs chapter 5 is really going to just be our, our launching pad. We're going to be a bunch of different passages, uh, as much as time will allow. I've got a lot of passages. But uh, I'd like to talk th- through today the subject of overcoming lust, or the idea of, of our biblical sexual ethics. We are in the middle of Proverbs chapter 5. Well, really, uh, we finished our examination of the chapter itself last week. We walked through it. and But we're looking at this a lecture that the father is giving to his son here in Proverbs chapter 5 that we've labeled the peril of adultery, the peril of adultery. And we broke down the chapter into three major segments, if you recall. We looked at this last week. We looked at verses 1 to 6, unmasking seduction. Unmasking seduction, where the father speaks to his son, and he says, hey, basically, listen to the words of wisdom and don't listen to the flatterer or the, you know, the flattery of the adulteress. And so he's unmasking seduction. He's trying to help the son see through her seductive speech. He then goes on to encourage the son to weigh seduction. In other words, look at the outcome of your actions and your choices. All choices have consequences. And so he's encouraging him to think beyond the, uh, the mere moment and look past that and look at the consequences that follow your actions and your choices. So that's verses 7 to 14. And then... He gives him some practical advice. The father gives some practical advice to his son in teaching him how to avoid seduction, namely by guarding and investing in his marriage or future marriage, depending upon the age of the son at this point. But nonetheless, he gives him some very practical advice regarding marriage and for the purpose of avoiding seduction and the seductress. So that's what we looked at last time as we walked through the chapter, the the 23 verses of the chapter, but there's a number of thoughts we wanted to come back to, camp on, and try to develop, and this is where we ended last time. We'll pick it up here this morning. I want to give us just a summary of what the scriptures will teach, I mean throughout the scriptures, but uh, this is a good opportunity as we work our way through Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 the idea of sexual ethics is threaded through these chapters. In fact, chapter 5 and chapter 7 in particular, it does come up in chapter 6, but chapter 5 and 7 in particular, the book of Proverbs, is some of the densest material anywhere in the scripture where it, it talks about the idea of sexual ethics, not merely a command, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? That shows up multiple places throughout the Torah, but here it's a father speaking to his son in the form of fatherly advice, and he's talking to him about the dangers of adultery, about uh, the consequences of those actions. He, he talks about avoiding uh, seduction and trying to help him learn to overcome lust. And so there's a lot of really important things here to talk about. So what I'd like to talk through for the next few moments is I'll spend just a few minutes talking about in, in the Bible's, as the Bible deals with sexual ethics. First, it, it implores us to understand sex, uh, in other words, the the reason for God's creation of it, God invented sex, and so the Bible is 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 implores us to understand sex, the purpose of it. Um, we'll we'll spend a little bit of time on that. We've we've given several lectures to that in our. Um, various marriage conferences and so i'm not going to spend long on that because we've we've done that in various situations but i'll just kind of summarize briefly some of the uh, the key ideas and then point you to some of those other lectures if you're uh, interested but then secondly we'll talk about understanding lust and just the mechanics of it and the danger of it the nature of it and then of course we'll get practical and say how do we overcome lust in our lives all right, so that's kind of our, our roadmap for today. Understand sex, understand lust, understand how to overcome lust. And so that's that's our kind of our guiding thought. So let's begin just with that first point, understand sex. Now, like I said, we've already given several lectures to this in the past. In fact, we, we talked about it to a degree just uh, a couple of weeks ago in our marriage conference on Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, when we looked at marriage in the creation context, God's design and purpose for marriage. We talked about the one-flesh relationship and the sexual union uh, that is that is implied in that text in Genesis chapter 2, and how God created sex for the mutual pleasure of the spouses. Does sex have another purpose? Sure, right? We talked about this in the one-flesh relationship. It obviously has a procreative function, but it, it has more than that. Uh, we see it that primarily in the book of Song of Solomon. And so we've dealt with it to a, a greater degree in our study of Song of Solomon. We've gone through the book in uh, public settings. We've done it at least twice, if not three times. Um, we've gone through the book of Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 4 and chapter 7 in particular, deal with that. And what's fascinating about the book of Song of Solomon is it has a lot to say about sex, right? It's on every page of the book nearly, um, but it never talks about procreation in the book. There's maybe a veiled reference to it in chapter 7, you know, or, or late set, left 7, chapter 8 of the book. But the point is, it's it's talking about the glories and pleasure of sex, but not procreation. Does that make sense? In other words, there's a there's another purpose. Namely, God designed it for the mutual pleasure of the spouses. And the book of Proverbs, which we talked about last time, in Proverbs 5, verses 15 to 21, it teaches us this big principle, that the opposite of sexual sin is, is not no sex, but good sex. That is sex within the confines of marriage, biblical marriage, the way God designed it. And so sex is a good thing that God has created. But what sin does is it perverts God's good gifts. And that's really true in in I mean we could get lost in this it's a long rabbit trail but when you start thinking about all of the good gifts that God has bestowed you can take those and you can abuse them you can pervert them and then it becomes sinful and yet when we understand that's not only true of you know sex it's true of any of God's good gifts but the reality is that we need to I won't I mean I need to get off this for sake of time but down through the era of church history, I'm kind of on a church history kick right now. I'm doing a ton of research, putting together some uh, slides. I'd love to do some, some studies in church history at some point. Um, but this has been largely misunderstood uh, by lots of early church fathers and historians. And, I mean, there's some really bizarre stories that I could get into. Um, but the idea of sexes is, is just is wicked it's evil, it's dirty, don't touch it. And they said, well, you can only have sex if you're in marriage for procreation, that's it. And, you know, there were several early church fathers that taught that. Um, it, you know, it was imbibed in Catholicism, right? That somehow you're holier if you never have sex. Uh, in fact, you're even more holy if you never get married, right? So you have monks and you have nuns, that that's part of their holy order, is to never get married. And yet, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that, that is, there's some that forbid marriage. And he says, don't do that. There are good gifts that God has given to enjoy. Now, does God give some the gift of singleness? Absolutely. Not, he doesn't, the Bible doesn't command that we have to get married. But on the other hand, to diminish marriage is and to, to devalue it, Paul says, be careful of that. That's false teaching and so we but the, the concept is we could get lost in this this has often been mishandled and misunderstood throughout much of church history in fact the book of song of solomon has often been untouched throughout the history of church history um, they they either totally avoid it right you remember the old jewish idiom that a jewish male was not allowed to even read the book of song of solomon until they turned 30 do you know that right <laughs> so that i mean it's it's you know got some x rated material if you know what i'm saying but it's, the point of it is that it's, it's magnifying the purpose, the good purpose of sex. But many throughout church history ignored the book or they totally reinterpreted the book to say, well, it's not really talking about sex. It's talking about you know, this love relationship between God and Israel or Christ and the church. And, you know, okay, so are there some appropriate applications there? Sure, right? Ephesians 5, the idea of we're the bride of Christ— we can go there applicationally, but to deny the the point of the book is, I think it's a, it's a gross misinterpretation of the book, as well as a neglect of a very important aspect of what God has designed for uh, for marriage. And so, so again, we need to understand sex from a biblical perspective. And the book of Proverbs, basically, that was what we talked about last time, right? In, in chapter five, verses fifteen to twenty-one. He says, to avoid seduction, invest in your marriage. Guard your marriage. And so we, we've already talked to that to, about that to a degree. Like I said, if you're interested in that, come talk to me or uh, peruse our website, particularly the Song of Solomon series. We gave a whole lecture to it, oh, was it three years ago at our first marriage conference where we did the snapshot walkthrough of the book, His Brain, Her Brain. Uh, We gave a whole session to the sexual differences between men and women and how that uh, ought be understood and how we are to approach that in the marriage context. So we've given a lot of time to that. Um, So if you're interested, again, check those out or, or ask me and I can get those to you. I can shoot you the links to those other lectures. But what I'd like to do next is not talk merely about understanding sex, that it's a good gift of God designed for the marriage relationship, but also understand lust. We need to understand lust because sex outside of marriage is condemned by God. Uh, He warns us against it. Here, it's the the context of a father pleading with his son. We talked about this last week. He says, you be careful because, uh, do you remember the words of regret? That, in fact, maybe it's worth rereading briefly. Obviously, it's worth rereading. But as much as time will allow, Proverbs 5, look at, uh, oh, verse 7 Let's go 7 to 14 again. He says, Hear me now, therefore, O you children. Depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, speaking of the adulteress, and come not nigh the door of her house. We'll talk about that more in chapter 7, right? Because the naive uh, lad goes nigh to the door of her house and is ensnared by her. Chapter, or uh, verse five, uh, 9, chapter 5, 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel, lest strangers be filled with your wealth. And your labors be in the house of a stranger, and you mourn at the last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Right? We could pause there and get lost in the statistics of STDs and other things. He says, Your uh, health, your wealth, your sacrificing, your reputation, your health, and your wealth. He goes on, uh, verse twelve he says, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instruct me. In other words, he's making the son look down the road and says, When you indulge in sexual sin, and you now have to experience the bitter consequences of that, he says that you will be full of regret. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the son to look down the road and say, Be careful uh, the choices you make and be aware of biblical sexual ethics. But if we're striving towards godliness, and we're striving to guard uh, the, the sexual relationship for the marriage relationship, to invest in that, as he says in verse 15 and following, then we need to understand lust. We need to understand how it works. And so first, let's just talk briefly about how lust soils us. And then secondly, how it sucks us in. It takes us further down the road than we intended to go. And it, it, that, that sort of, uh, you know, heavy tax, if you will, that is laid upon uh, those who indulge in lust. Let's contemplate this for just a second. Now, first, let me just state the obvious. Lust soils us in that. What I mean by that is it affects every part of our being. It affects uh, our, all of our relationships. If we were to peruse the scripture, I would encourage you to write these references down We can't go to all of them for sake of time, but uh, lust affects us in that it uh, affects our relationship to God. Great passage, a couple of passages to explore that idea would be Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Those are both David uh, that he is speaking of his experience of, of having committed adultery with Bathsheba and then what that resulted in. The spiritual coldness, distance from God. The, uh, in fact, he, he talks about his body uh, growing sick, and there's very, varying interpretations of that, uh, whether it was a literal sickness or whether it was the, the guilt and shame and stress uh, of being, you know, trying to, you know, hard hide this and guard his secret. Remember, because he commits adultery and he keeps it a secret for almost a year before it comes out. And during that time, he describes his experience. And so it's. I, I encourage you, just go check that out, where he talks about the effect of sin upon his relationship with God, as well as these other areas. It, it, obviously, relationship to our spouse is affected. 1 Corinthians 7, we'll talk about that. Proverbs 5, right? we just talked about it last week. But Proverbs 5, 19, we'll talk about that. Um, it'll also impact those under our authority, because if, again, we look at David as an example then his, his failure in this area had a ripple effect. It was more than just him being affected. It obviously affected him personally, his walk with God, uh, etc. But it, it rippled out into his family. He had an extremely dysfunctional home. If you haven't read The Life of David recently, I encourage you to do that. Um, His kingdom, because of the dysfunctionality in his home, it led to disarray in his kingdom. He nearly lost his kingdom because of uh, a revolt led by his son Absalom. His son Absalom killed his brother Amnon. Why? Because Amnon raped his sister Tamar. And why? Well, because, you know, there was this uh, totally downplay in sexual ethics and David ignored it in his own life and in his own home. And it led to absolute chaos. Loss of life, death, blood, violence—all over the place. Almost happened again in the next generation when the son, uh, you know, he's trying to pass off his son or the kingdom to his son Solomon, and you have Adonijah, the other rogue son, try to steal the throne. Right? I mean, we could get lost in the story of David. But the point is, when we indulge in sexual lust, it it affects us personally. It affects our relationship to God. It affects our relationship with those around us, our family. Spouse, children, those under our authority. It, in other words, it, it's, it's the ripple effect. You throw the rock into the pond, it doesn't just make one splash, right? I mean, it ripples out and it affects everything. And that's true of, of us in our, in our giving into lust. But what happens is when we give into lust, and there's this very interesting path to lust that the ancients used to call curiositas, that's Latin. For the English word, we get the word curiosity out of it, and they use this word to describe this ravenous path of lust, which would start small and then grow into this beast that we cannot master, but it ultimately masters us, and they use this to, let me just describe it briefly, but they use the word curiositas or curiosity To describe this restlessness of the spirit and of the mind, this unsettled anxiety that pursues new spectacles to consume, such pleasurable novelties, provide cheap mental stimulation with little to no work. This, for example, in just uh, the smallest example of it would be this momentary Facebook check you know, just to see. It gives us that brief respite from responsibility that's in front of us. We may not care about what we find, but what matters is that we found something new, that we're entertained. That's the curiosity. It starts small, but what often happens is it, again, it grows. It sucks us in. It it pulls us down into the quagmire. Curiosity fixes our attention on the things below, the things that are seen, the things that we can dispense with the moment uh, that we are done. But because such visions lack depth, they will never satisfy. Because they are ubiquitous, they must become more outlandish. The only way to arrest the attention of the curious is by making a scene and then attempting to outdo yourself the next time around. Right? It just it continues to grow. We talked about this a little bit last week in the law of diminishing return, which is why you know, pornography can be rated from low level to hardcore. Because it starts with you get a high from the the you know the little stuff if we can call it that, but then before long that doesn't satisfy it doesn't give you the same high that it did before and so you need something more outlandish or more intense and so it's it's drawing you in it's sucking you in. C.S. Lewis remarked on this topic in his book That Hideous Strength. He used to say this quote. He says it is idle to point to the perverted man the horror of his perversion while the fierce fit is on. That is, when he's in the heat of emotion and, and the craving. He says it's, it's idle to point to the perverted man the horror of his perversion while the fierce fit is on. That horror is the very spice of his craving. It is the ugliness itself that becomes, in the end, the goal of his lechery. That's an old word, right? But the idea is his craving, his lustful craving. He goes on to say, beauty has long since grown too weak a stimulant. That's a powerful phrase. Beauty has long, to the perverted man, beauty has long since grown too weak a stimulant. The terrible fascination sucks and tugs and fascinates. It's a movement opposite to nature, an impulse to reverse all reluctances and to draw every circle counterclockwise, end quote. That's C.S. Lewis. As he's trying to describe this, he's describing this path. I got a buddy who, he's a pastor friend of mine, he pastors in Salina, Utah. That's where I I was the uh, interim pastor there for almost two years. When we, when I got married, we got out of college, came back to Utah, and we were living in Nephi, traveling around, doing a bunch of pulpit supply. I was in Salina, Utah for two years, and then this buddy of mine, you know, he came and, and he took over that church. And that's actually, I met him through that process. But he used to be the, uh, the dean of a college down in Florida. In fact, there's the school that my brothers, my two younger brothers, went to. It was their undergrad uh, school. And it was a Christian college. And this guy was the dean of men. His job was to, you know, I mean, he had lots of different responsibilities. But one of the things that was frequent was he was, he was trying to help the guys out on the college and in the dorm. And he did a lot of counseling. And his number one issue was pornography, trying to counsel guys through overcoming pornography. And what's so profound is, I, I mean, I, I just learned so much from him, but he described, he said, you know, the worst of it, the guys he had the hardest time with were, and the guys who had the hardest time out coming out of pornography were those that were sucked into anime. Now, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it, but it's, it's a cartoon version of of pornography, and he says, "But what's so dangerous about anime is because of this idea, because you can make it whatever you want. It, it's because it's you draw it, right? It's animation." He says, "But you're, the fantasy goes wild, and they become so bizarre. But it's it's this idea. It, it, at first, when you see it, it's it's bizarre, it's revolting. You look at this, that's ridiculous." But when you start small and the lust sucks you in and you become warped and perverted in your thinking, then what you once viewed as revolting is now attractive. And that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. He says, real simple beauty as God created it has long since grown too weak a stimulant. You need something more hardcore. He says, but what that does is it warps us. It perverts us. It draws us in. And it, it creates a bondage that is very difficult to get out of. It's an addiction that is very difficult. It's, it's right up there. You know, as they do the science and they look at the brain scans and all of that, it's right up there with a the, uh, heroin addiction. To break a pornography addiction is just as hard in many cases, particularly depending on how far in you are. And so this idea is what the, the father is trying to warn his son about. So what he does then is, is, and this is, again, I'm kind of summarizing. I'm, I'm, I'm using Proverbs 5 as a springboard, but I want to summarize the biblical teaching on how then do we overcome lust? How do we get over this? How do we guard ourselves against it? Because it never goes away. If you're aware of the statistics, then it's like three-fourths of men, and, and then what is it? It's like almost two-thirds of women now. The, the women are on the rise. Uh, are are involved with to some degree, if not addicted to, pornography, and this idea is it's it's killing our society. It's killing our culture. Um, we could get lost in the history of it, the the history of the legalization of pornography in America, which you know came from the Kinsey reports. If you're familiar with this guy, he basically wrote a book. Uh, the Sexual behavior in the human male, and then he came out a few years later with the the female. And he basically said the opposite of you know the Bible and Judeo-Christianity. The Bible says that we need to, you know, that that God's good gift of sex is designed for the marriage relationship. You take it outside of that and it it warps it, perverts it, diminishes it. And God calls that an abomination. But Kinsey said, "No, no, no," because he came was coming from an evolutionary worldview. He says we're nothing but animals, and so we can have the same sexual behavior that animals have. It doesn't matter if it's heterosexual, homosexual, if it's you know multiple partners. Doesn't matter because we're animals. So anything goes. That was his big argument. Well, guess what? America bought that. Hook, line, and sinker. Because why? He was the scientist, pseudoscience, false science, but nonetheless, he was viewed as an authoritative figure. So we canonized his writings. That has become the, the stuff that is taught in our schools. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming all the more mainstream. Well, that led to, there's a guy who, looked, who, who became the disciple of Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey. And he says, I'm gonna become the pamphleteer of Kinsey. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna promote this guy's ideas. His name was Hugh Hefner. So he founded Playboy. And what happened from there? Well, you know the story, right? Right? America has it once used to be illegal. Well, now it's it's everywhere, right? And then the internet came out, and it's everywhere. It, we can't control it. It's too far gone. It's a huge industry. It's a multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar industry. Pornography is not going away. And the reality is we've got to learn to fight it. We've got to learn to guard ourselves against it and learn to overcome lust in our own lives, in our churches, in our homes, in our families, uh, in our society, in our culture. So how do we overcome lust? Well, let me give you three suggestions that, the, you know, the, again, this, this is a huge subject, huge topic um, and, and I encourage you, if you're, if you're struggling with this, because we all struggle to some degree, but if you are struggling with this, if you're in far and you're, you're struggling, then, then come talk to me. We've, we actually have a specific group that meets in order to try and address this issue, to help people come out of sexual addiction. And so I encourage you, come, connect with me. Um, it's, it's a really great group. I can get you connected with it. It's, uh, it's called the Conquer Group. And it helps people overcome lust and and deal with this in their life. But to summarize that big subject of overcoming lust, let me boil it down in the next 20 minutes into three big ideas. First, humble yourself. Number two, hedge yourself. And number three, hope in God. What do I mean by that? Well, first, humble yourself. Proverbs will say three times specifically, Proverbs 15, 33, Proverbs 18, 12, and Proverbs 22, 4, that honor only comes after humility. Honor comes only after humility. So the first thing that we have to do, and this is true of lust, it's true of any sin, any sin pattern. We have to humble ourselves, repent before there's victory. Meaning that, and let me get practical with this real quick. I think it's, we we often say, Humble yourself and repent. But we do that in private. And in other words, we... And, and can we humble ourselves and repent in private? Sure. But what happens more often than not is we, we go back to it. And we go back to it. And the pattern is not broken. So I would encourage you to... And I, and I think I have it later on a different slide, but I should have put it right here in this slide. Um, James 5.16 confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you, that you might have healing. One of the most powerful ways to overcome lust or any sexual or sin pattern in your life is to open up about it with, and again, not that you have to you know, stand up in front of the pulpit and tell me all of your darkest secrets. And No, nah, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, get a, a, a group of, of guys or just one individual that you trust and again, gals are not exempt from this. Two thirds of women are now becoming addicted to pornography. This is, and by the way, I'm getting lost in this, but Romans 1 tells us the downgrade of society, right? When a culture is on the brink of destruction and implosion, it starts with sexual perversion in men. But let's be honest, most sexual perversion starts in men, right? I mean, we can get into the, I mean, get into the chemicals, we can get into the testosterone, we can get into all of that. But the sexual active male is typically the first to, to go into sexual perversion. But Romans one says that when the women also give them, a women of society give them o- themselves over to perversion, the society is well nigh lost. You can't hardly bring it back from that. We can study Roman history. We can study other nations where we've seen this happen. It's happening to us. And so that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad sign of the, the level of depravity in our nation and in our society and our culture. But I'd encourage you, if you're struggling with this, first, just get honest about it. Humble yourself, sit down you know, in front of a, a fellow believer, someone that you trust, someone that can pray with you, pray for you, help you, and just get honest and say, this is, this is what I'm struggling with. And until you humble yourself, there won't be victory. There won't be honor. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Yes? I have a quick question. I mean, I'll say this last season. Yeah. When you were talking about Romans 1 and the whole society, it's kind humbling, basically. Um, I was just kind of wondering, how come they had so many wives about Was that to prevent this? Um, because their culture is completely different. Now we uh no great question so so first polygamy has never really gone away uh it's still predominant in many parts of the world today um the the american history the reason is that you know we promote one man one woman for life is because of the judeo-christian worldview that was part of the birth of our nation um the english you know before it you know the british um you know it's a long history But the influence of Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, has what is what has brought that about. Um, But there's many portions of the world today, particularly Islamic countries. They still practice polygamy, right? I mean, I uh, I grew up with, I wrestled with five dudes from polygamist community, right? Down the street, right, in Mona, Utah. Um, So I mean it's alive and well. But did they did polygamy uh, you know, help this? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there were some practical reasons for it. You know, in some cultures, you know, the idea of it, it was it was it did function as a form of welfare in a sense um, to help widows. Uh, that was one function of it, but much of it was it's just like this path of lust. So, in other words, when they have a a harem. Again, we have lots of examples of this. Solomon himself being a great example. Uh, Xerxes, right? Ahasuerus. I mean, in other words, we have several biblical examples, historic examples. Does a harem slake lust? No. No, it makes it worse, right? Because it's like instead, because Proverbs says, you go guard that relationship with the wife of your youth. But when they say, well, I'm going to have this you know this harem, and then I'll stop there. But where, where, but where does lust stop? It doesn't stop, right? That's the idea. And so it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. You know what I'm saying? We're just feeding it, and so it just—it's out of control now. If that makes sense? Does that answer your question? That's a great question. We could—that deserves its own lecture. But trying to give you a five-minute answer to a 50-minute you know, question. But yeah, Fred. That work out if it comes in? Say it again. People. Yeah. No, oh, that's right. Absolutely. Okay. So you gave me my segue. All right. Um, you're exactly right. Let me follow up on Fred's comment. So first, how do we overcome less? Humble yourself. Second, hedge yourself. In other words, build guards in your life. Um, and and I got a ton of stuff to say here, and and I'm trying to cram it in the next ten minutes. But first, don't be desensitized. This is really hard in our culture. But I point again to David as an example, because, and it's interesting that you brought this up, because in 2 Samuel 5:13, David started growing a harem. That was a normal thing for his, you know, area of the world, time, culture. Um, and yet it it desensitized him to the point that it ultimately, I would argue, was one of the pieces of the puzzle that led to his affair with Bathsheba, his willingness and carrying it out to murder her husband Uriah, right? I mean, it was it was some gross sin that David was guilty of, and again, David's the man after God's own heart, right? I mean, David was he's a pinnacle of godliness. So the point is, all of us are capable of this. As soon as you think, well, that's pff, that's not me. Oh boy. What well, does Paul say? I have it in your notes First Corinthians 10, 12. He says. You take heed. Let the man who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So first, don't be desensitized. Um, I, had a, I had a buddy, well, friend of mine, pastoral mentor of mine, in fact, John Labans from uh, Northern California. Just talked to him the other day. It was kind of fun to catch up. But he used to say, we as a culture have lost our ability to blush. We have lost our ability to blush. And he was actually quoting Jeremiah. There's a passage in Jeremiah that talks about that. And it's what's so profound is, man, he's right, is what used to cause us shame and make us blush doesn't anymore. Why? Well, because we've, be, we've become des- desensitized. It's everywhere. It's on our billboards. It's in our commercials, right? I mean, it's like you can't even watch the, the you know, halftime show. You can't watch the, you know, the, the Grammys show, whatever, because it's everywhere. The sexual perversion of our society is everywhere. But that's part of the process of you becoming desensitized to where you think it not as big a deal as it really is. Job 31, Job made a covenant with his eyes. He says, so I will not look upon a maid, he says. We need to make a covenant with ourselves. We need to learn to, to, to first make that decision in our own life, but then don't trust yourself, but set boundaries. Proverbs five 8, 1 Timothy five two. We've got a number of passages. We'll see it again. Comes up big in Proverbs seven, um, but set up boundaries. Don't trust yourself. If you think you you stand, take heed. Paul says, lest you fall. Rather seek accountability. And there's my James five sixteen note. But confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you might have healing. Drag it into the light. I got a buddy uh, pastors in in Deer. I think it's Deer River is the name of the town in Minnesota. This was his big thing. Uh, he was my wrestling coach in college. And he did a lot of counseling with guys struggling with pornography. And he said, you you got to drag it into the light. Sin thrives in the darkness. As long as it's a secret, it thrives. Right? You, it, it just grows. He says, you got to drag it into the light. you got to let it, the ugliness of it be seen. And it breaks the bondage, the hold it has on you. And it's still, that doesn't mean there won't be cravings and there won't be struggle, but it, it, it's a, it starts tearing down the stronghold when you get honest and seek accountability. Uh, boundaries, don't rationalize or think that sin does not stain. Proverbs thirty twenty says, the adulteress eats, wipes her mouth and says, I've committed no evil. In the context of that passage, it's describing how she is assuming that her actions bear no consequences. Basically, I can commit adultery. I can do whatever I want. And it's like just wiping the mouth, right, from the food, the excess food. It's gone. Wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. It stains. It does have an impact. Don't rationalize it or think it's a small thing. But then we got to learn to battle on the inside, the thought life. We need to learn, and and this is not original with me, but there's a helpful kind of two-part outline. Starve out evil thoughts. Crowd out evil thoughts. Starve it out. We already talked about that back in Proverbs 4, but the idea of guard your heart, guard your eyes, guard your ears, be careful where you go, what you look at, what you listen to. Starve out evil thoughts. That was, again, my my buddy Murph, pastor in Salina, Utah. He said this was a huge thing. He says, once you cut it off and you quit viewing pornography, you're still gonna have memories of it. You're still gonna have that burned into your psyche. He says, but over time, those memories fade. Over time, you can... Starve those evil thoughts. You quit feeding them, and they do start withering. He says, and then you crowd out those evil thoughts by again. That's Proverbs two, the idea of pursuing wisdom, pursuing a relationship with God. In and uh, again, Second Corinthians ten five is the idea of casting down strongholds, taking every thought captive, and subjecting it to the obedience of Christ. And the idea here is kind of and, and uh, kind of with what Fred said is the idea of fellowshipping with the saints, getting into the scripture, going through the regular process of the discipleship process, grow spiritually. In other words, fill your mind with good things and it begins to crowd out the bad things. And, and you, you can renew your mind. We'll talk about that more in Ephesians 4 when we get there. Um, but that's a huge Ephesians 4 principle, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And one of the, the primary ways we can do this, if you're a married individual, is to invest in your marriage and or future marriage. I was a teenager once. I was a teenager that was having hormones. And yet I had good godly mentors that said, you know what? I know what you're feeling. I know what you're thinking. I know what you want, but... Save it for your marriage. Guard yourself. This is uh, not okay in our society anymore. Anyone tracked or tracked uh, Tim Tebow and his story? Right, Tim Tebow, Christian guy. Oh, what he graduated from University of Florida, wasn't he? He was a Florida Gator, wasn't he? Football player, drafted in the NFL. Kind of bounced around to different teams, um, but he was a uh, an outspoken Christian in a in a very non-Christian environment. Well, then it came out that he was a virgin. And boy, they wouldn't let him, you know, <laughs> live that down. They just, and I mean, I, and I watched TV interviews where the people were interviewing him saying, are you really a virgin? Why are you a virgin? Oh, come on. No one's a virgin anymore. You're, you're in your 20s. You're almost, you know, whatever he was at the time, mid-20s. Like, no one's a virgin in, you know, mid-20s. And he's like, I'm saving myself for marriage. And that was a novel idea. People are like, You're, you're doing what? And he says, That's what God says. You know, and I mean, and his, his it's, he's, he's become then such a public figure because of that. But the reality is, he was trying to do what Proverbs 5 says. He says, I'm going to save myself for my future marriage. And I'm going to invest in my future marriage. He's not married yet, right? And I, I haven't followed him. He is married now. That's right, he is married now. He wasn't married at the time of the interview, but when did he get married? Uh, it was, it's been a couple years. Okay. I haven't Googled him recently. But, but he was, you know, at the time of the interview, he was saying, hey, I'm saving myself for marriage. And now he's married. Praise the Lord. But the point is, he was willing to take a stand in the midst of a culture that mocked him because he was simply trying to do it God's way. That's what we need to do. But then, last but not least, I only have a few minutes. All right, we humble ourselves, hedge ourselves. And, and and just getting practical there, and then maybe we'll come back to this because I don't know if I have a lot of time for this last one. But um, you know, so let me let me make a couple more p- comments on the hedge yourself section and then we'll then we'll wrap it up for today because I'm I just saw the time. I hate clocks. But um so again, there's very practical ways to guard yourself, right? There are ways to limit your access to technology, to have accountability with your web browser, um, have open accountability with Christians, believers in your life. And like I said, I I really encourage you, if you're struggling with this, come talk to me. Uh, Bob Moriarty uh, leads the the group, and there's others uh, that are heavily involved in the group known as the Conquer Group, and it's a group of guys that get together. There's a particular study, a series that walks through this idea of sexual uh, addiction and overcoming lust, and they meet regularly for the purpose of holding one another accountable. Um, if you are a lady, I have had ladies approach me saying, hey, I struggle with this, come talk to me. We can connect you with, with uh, other ladies that will hold you accountable, that will help in this area. Like I said, this used to be a, you know, and it, it still t- statistically is a larger problem among men, but the stats are changing. And there are just as many women almost struggling uh, with sexual addiction that, uh, than just as, almost as much as men in, in the modern day. And so, again, just, just get honest about it uh, and decide to say, you know what, I'm not gonna just keep this a secret, I'm not gonna keep it in the dark. And rather, I'm going to drag it in the light. I'm going to face this so that we can walk in newness of life. So this is where I'd like to go next time because I ran out of time, right? Shocker. But humble yourself, hedge yourself, hope in God. What I want to talk about next time, and then this will then we'll, we'll wrap up this. We'll get to Proverbs 6, and then we'll circle back to some of this more in Proverbs 7. But I want to talk about how this idea of hoping in God, the idea of of, uh, one of the problems when it comes to sexual temptation is sexual temptation is what I call a trigger problem and a trust problem. And so we'll talk through that. And and the biblical answer to that is to learn to hope in God. And the idea of, of coping and comfort, which is the trigger problem part, and how we must learn to rest in God and trust in his way and his path. Because God designed us, and he designed uh, the sexual relationship. He knows how it works best. We just got to trust him and quit listening to the lies of our society, as we talked about before, right? We got to be discerning as believers, because the world is telling us, right, to, to throw out the Bible, throw out the book, and just do what you want. That's what Kinsey tells us, right? You're an animal, so go act like one. No, 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 we're not. We are made in the image of God, we're humans and we need to live in in, in that regard. So we'll come back, we'll talk about this a little bit more next time and we'll wrap up these thoughts, all right? Let's close in prayer and we'll transition for the next hour. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, these very important principles, these biblical principles that are practical for us because, Lord, all of us, to one degree or another, we struggle with this. Our society has given itself over to perversion, Lord. Our our churches are are just filled with those that are struggling. On uh, Lord, the the and some in some cases not struggling, we just give up and give in and and get sucked into this, this path of lust that leads to nothing but heartache and regret and broken lives. And God help us, help us to get honest, to humble ourselves before you, before one another, to get honest, to hedge ourselves. And then as we'll talk about next week, to learn to hope in you, to see the, the, the real nature of sexual temptation and to learn to, to overcome it, to, to avoid it, to pass on, to be guarded from it. So Lord, help us as we continue to talk through this subject. Might you guide and direct us, Lord, as we study your word. And help us, Lord, to live it. In, in your name we pray, amen.